Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. We are recording on Monday, the 20th of April. This is the daily update show covering various aspects of COVID-19 in India. The format for today is a little different and it's going to be a bit like a dispatches radio show up front with our correspondents from around the country sending in inputs. And then we'll move on to discuss the health ministry briefings and the big national and international developments with Suhasini Haider and Jacob Koshi, who are our regular guests on the show. There's a lot to cover, so to start with, here's Jyoti Shailar, our health reporter in Mumbai, with a dispatch about several journalists in Mumbai testing positive for COVID-19. Here in Mumbai, 53 media persons have tested positive for COVID-19. Last week, there was a testing camp organized by the civic body here, and a total of 167 media persons were tested uh, in two days. And the first batch of report has come out today and 53 have come out positive. Uh, more reports are awaited so that th- so this number may go up in, in a day or two. Uh, right now, the civic body has told us that only about 21 of these media persons have some symptoms which are very mild and rest are completely asymptomatic. Uh, the those who are asymptomatic may be shifted to a hotel in western suburbs. Some of them who have, uh, some of them who have, uh, you know, separate rooms at their residence have been given an option to remain under home quarantine. And those who have mild symptoms will be shifted to isolation facilities in the city. Uh, these media persons mainly consist of uh, consist of Uh, photojournalists, camera persons, and television journalists. Bindu Shajan Parapadan, a health reporter in Delhi, now has a dispatch on how blood banks are running short as the burden of COVID-19 escalates across all states. Pushed against the wall, hospitals across India have now started contacting individual blood donors who died over the acute blood shortage that most of them are facing with the continued lockdown due to COVID-19. Government data collection of the donated blood has dropped from 38,000 unit in February to 26,000 unit in March, and we have only managed to collect 3,037 units in April, in the first 10 days of April. According to the World Health Organization standards, a country requires blood unit equal to 1% of its population. India is already lagging and the lockdown has made it worse. The number of blood donation camps have also come down from 473 in February to 46 in April. And the voluntary donations are the worst hit followed by replacement donations which are down by almost 50%. Blood donors are uh, not tested for COVID as of now but a detailed history is taken of the donors to ensure that the blood is virus-free. The health ministry, speaking about the blood shortage, said that the hospital should now start working in ensuring sufficient blood stock for transfusion by promoting voluntary blood donors and utilizing various services like mobile blood collection vans with the help of the Indian Red Cross Society. It has asked the society to send mobile blood collection vans to the homes of regular donors 
or to areas where they have a high density of regular donors to facilitate for them to come forward to donate blood. Doctors say that the worst hit are patients who require dialysis, those having blood disorders, pregnant women, and have warned that they are now dipping in very deep into, the, into their reserves and they will find it very tough to carry on operations if blood is not urgently replenished. Now the crisis is such that they are uh, that the crisis is such that the hospitals are now calling listed donors and those with rare blood groups to come in and donate. What is also shocking is that India now has a blood shortage of a B positive blood group, which most of us, which is one of the most common blood groups found in the country. We move to our regular segment now with Deputy Science Editor Jacob Koshi and National Editor Suhasini Haider. And Jacob, uh, by way of update from the Health Ministry today, they're still using this metric of uh, the case uh, cases doubling and they've released some data about uh, which states have sort of managed to get that number down, the doubling rate. Um, so what was the major discussion in the Health Ministry today around that? So the Health Ministry basically is uh, trying to argue that many states, that is nearly 18 or 20 states, are doing good in terms of containing the uh, epidemic in their own respective territories. So they use this concept of, of, of the doubling rate, which, which basically indicates how quickly cases are rising in a region. So 18 states and union territories among them you know, are showing a doubling rate of between 10 and 20 days. Now, uh, that is a kind of a bare minimum kind of uh, criteria because doubling rate, basic, having a higher number of uh, higher time to double basically means less burden over the healthcare system, as now we all know so well. So, uh, 18 of these states were, you know, according to them, showing this, this trend. And Kerala and Odisha were the best, were leading the pack by a mile because Kerala has a doubling rate of nearly 72 days. And that is evident because you know they have been showing a fall in infections for a while and odisha is showing 30 days however yeah. on a day you know the ministry has confirmed 17655 cases and 14000 of them odd are active infections this number really means very little because uh, 30 60% of india's case load is concentrated in five or six states maharashtra there is rajasthan there is delhi there is uh, uh, madhya pradesh uh, Tamil Nadu and these are states which have which uh, except for Tamil Nadu and Delhi all of these other states are have have doubling times which are very rapid that's four days or six six uh, six six days and this is why we are reading reports of you know a, a, a massive overload on this on the healthcare systems and you know very little being uh, very little in the state's ability to contain infections so it, it's it's real success only once these high state these you know these high caseload states actually start showing a reduction over there and till then these numbers like 18 states etc are good they are some some cause for optimism but still still very little because the number of deaths are constantly rising at about 30 to 35 a day and we are still posting at least 1500 uh, 1000 1500 cases a day so even though Testing and sampling has uh, dramatically increased. There are nearly three point, nearly four million tests, uh, four hundred thousand tests that have uh, that have been done so far. So uh, there are other states, for instance, like Ladakh, Uttarakhand, Assam, Chandigarh, etc. They've all got doubling times of twenty to thirty days. So these are all 
sort of orange zone states, you know, where restrictions will start to be lifted up and, you know, they will provide a window to the government to to, uh, to state governments to ascertain how well this is working or whether there are, there are going to be reports of fresh infections and will we see a second spike after lockdown is, in, is implemented. So it, there is lots and lots for, of, of caution that we must observe before we interpret these numbers because otherwise there is we are still nowhere near sort of flattening the curve nationally. Nationally, our doubling is nearly 7.5 which is still a fairly dangerous number as far as India is concerned, given though it's much better than Italy and, and, and the US, but it is given our special needs, such as, you know, a low number of patient beds per population, no number of doctors, etc. These are still worrying enough numbers for it. And our aim has to be to extend it to, add, to increase the doubling rate as much as possible. Um, just one thing, just one thing, Jacob. There was some confusion over the weekend about uh, the uh, figures released by the ICMR, not yes, tallying yeah. um, the figures released, uh, figures released which you can compile from the state totals. Yeah. Um, was that addressed at all today in any way? No, it wasn't addressed at all. It was, uh, I mean, that that discrepancy was stark. It was because you know it was nearly a thousand, two thousand, a difference of nearly two thousand between the numbers and. Uh, this has been addressed in earlier uh, briefings. I mean, when questions have been raised as to why is the ICMR number different from the health ministry number, the health ministry basically justifies it as saying is that when when they get the numbers, they verify it and break up the cases and fatalities by districts. And they also want uh, ground confirmations from the districts of you know the extent of cases. Whereas the ICMR has a parallel system of of, of you know of of states and facilities reporting the numbers to them so they get they only have to deal with the absolute number of samples and you know infections they don't have to really look at the state bit which is why their you know uh, you know their count goes faster so this lag has always been there but it's also now in a sense expected because the number of labs have increased number of cases have increased and not all samples are equally processed at the same time so these discrepancies and lags are, I believe, going to uh, continue for some time. But today, this specific issue wasn't uh, wasn't really addressed. And so, Asni, hi. In the middle of all this, uh, all the, this whole story that's unfolding, we also had a development from the Middle East today, which is that the Indian ambassador in the UAE um, came out with a tweet about uh, hate speech, hate speech made by Indian citizens in the UAE. Um, so let's just, I think there's a, there's a larger aspect also to the story, but let's just start with that for, that aspect first. Uh, what's the development there? That's right, Jayant. And in fact, in this entire coronavirus pandemic, some of the ugliest moments have been witnessed around the world uh, over stigmatization or um, a targeting of one country or one of people of one religion, people of one country. We've seen it around the world. Um, and uh, in fact, the UN... Uh, Human Rights Commission had actually put out a statement saying it was very concerned about this kind of stigmatization. Uh, part of that is what we have seen in the UAE uh, over the last month, really, since the pandemic began. Um, more than uh, at least six Indians have either lost jobs or faced charges in the UAE under a pretty strict 2015 anti-discrimination law because they've written uh, statements uh, basically targeting the Muslim community, some of them suggesting social economic boycott of the Muslim community, many linking uh, uh, members of the Tabliki Jamaat, who were, of course, one of the hotspots in, in India, 
um, uh, to uh, uh, to the to a religious sort of giving it a religious color, um, and and tweets that have uh, tweets, Facebook posts, and others that have really gotten uh, UAE authorities quite upset. Um, so we saw the Indian ambassador to the UAE, Pavan Kapoor, come out with a tweet of his own saying that there will be zero tolerance for this. He quoted Prime Minister Modi's tweet from a day ago saying that uh, coronavirus really attacks without caring about religion, caste, creed, nationality or borders. Um, and, and so it means that the government is beginning to take this kind of hate speech um, fairly seriously, especially at a tricky time in diplomatic ties. Uh, between India and the UAE as well, and at a time when India is reaching out to so many countries in the Gulf. Right. And with regard to the UAE and the Gulf in general, I think there's um, there's a larger aspect to the story that we often miss, uh, which is that, you know, as cases, uh, as cases are growing there, as the case count is growing there, we have a lot of workers from India who are stationed in the Gulf. And um, yeah, is, is that going to be an emerging problem, something that we'll have to look at in a big way especially once the lockdown ends and Indian citizens start to return. Absolutely, Jant. And I think this is a story we're going to hear much more about in the larger context, um, really, because across the Gulf, remember, uh, there are 9 million Indians who live and work there. Um, and uh, Indians across the Gulf are in essentially in service sectors, in factories, uh, you know, doctors, accountants, and all the rest. However, with the economy shrinking, and particularly the Gulf economies being hit by the complete sharp fall in um, in the price of oil, I think down to less than maybe fifteen dollars a barrel, twelve dollars a barrel, um, we are going to see retrenchments of of some sort. We've seen layoffs around the world in the uh, in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and in the Gulf as well, people will be let off from their jobs. Now, since uh, most of these countries don't provide citizenship, these Indian citizens are going to have to be repatriated. Uh, and I think in the next few months, we're going to have to see India do some very deft diplomacy to ensure uh, that they don't have to bring back uh, uh, thousands, if not lakhs, um, who will also then have to uh, find jobs inside India and compete for jobs inside India uh, and try to find uh, ways for them to stay on in the Gulf. Uh, clearly, this is, uh, this is uh, one of the reasons for the outreach with Gulf countries because we share um, such a close relationship when it comes to the large numbers involved. Um, remember, migrant rem uh, remittances are uh, uh, an important part of India's GDP as well. I, um, I think about $80 billion a year comes in. Um, and this is something that even the World Bank has already put out a warning signal on. They put out a special report on the South Asian economy uh, future and said that the loss in revenue of migrant remittances, the return of migrants from these Gulf countries in particular uh, to India and to other South Asian countries is going to cause a new economic crisis as well. And have pointed out that countries need to start working towards how they can mitigate some of the impact of that. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely a story that we need to keep an eye on. Um, right. So we'll end that podcast uh, with that story today. So Hasni, thank you for joining me and I'll see you tomorrow.